COVID-19 liability for hospitals. Texas Attorney Kay Van Way sounds off. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Hello, Kay. How are things going in the Lone Star State? Hi, Lawrence. Well, remarkably well under the circumstances. Excellent, excellent. So uh, Texas is hanging in there, right, as they always do? Texas seems to be hanging in there. We're working remotely, and we seem to be thriving even under the circumstances. And I'm looking out my home office window at an absolutely gorgeous day. So I probably could have a litany of complaints, but I don't have any. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't really help at this point in time anyway. No. So. <laughs> Well, anyway, uh, before we get started with our topic today, Kay, uh, just uh, for the benefit of our audience, if you tell us a little bit about your practice and your expertise, that'll kind of help provide some context for our discussion here today. Well, I'm a uh, personal injury trial lawyer practicing throughout Texas and Oklahoma, in some cases nationally, and I own my own law firm and employ about 18 people. Okay, excellent. And then as I understand it, uh, you're going to be featured in the Dr. Death documentary coming up. Is that right? Yes, it's it's kind of funny because I joke with people that I'm a, an overnight success, flash in the pan after 30 some odd years, but <laughs> I represented a group of individuals who were seriously injured by a drug-addicted neurosurgeon, and that became the subject of a very popular podcast called Dr. Death, and from that has sprung documentaries, made-for-TV movies, uh, the story seems to continue getting a lot of traction. Well, excellent. I look forward to uh, listening and watching some of that. Indeed. So to our topic today, Kay, uh, it looks like for for many areas around the country, not all, we appear to be on the backside of the COVID-19 pandemic. And as the United States catches its breath and starts to get the economy rolling again, the opportunities for related lawsuits will, will arise. And so that brings us to hospital liability. So obviously people are being treated and, you know, as the pandemic swept across the country, a lot of healthcare facilities may or may not have been uh, as prepared as they needed to be. And so just stemming from that, you know, some COVID-19 issues and treatment emergency care. So I guess just to open that up, use it as a starting point, Kay, in general, how difficult is it for patients or their family members to sue a hospital or a healthcare provider for damages or, or even wrongful death related to emergency care? Well, due to a number of factors, including tort reform, medical malpractice cases have historically been among the most difficult types of cases to handle. They're very expensive. They're very difficult. The juror sentiments are often with the doctors and nurses. There are caps on damages and sometimes very high evidentiary standards. So for that reason, most sane and reasonably minded lawyers avoid those cases, except for people like me. (laughs) Uh, So they've always been historically difficult. And lawyers like, like me and others are considering whether there will be liability for healthcare providers under these circumstances, and if so, what those circumstances might be, what those legal theories might be, et cetera. Well, let's dive in a little bit. So as I understand it, I'm not an expert, but uh, as I understand it, in, in states that have tort reform or emergency medical care statutes, it's there's a burden of proof, which is a little bit higher than, say, uh, regular ne- negligence. And you start talking about preponderance of the evidence, willful, wanton negligence. But just as a general matter, uh, maybe as it pertains to Texas law, can you walk me through that process that you know would give a plaintiff an opening shot at a possible suit against a hospital or healthcare provider? Yes. Well, many states, including Texas, as a part of 
sweeping tort reform, passed special protections for emergency services providers. The theory was that treating patients in acute emergency situations made for special circumstances because the physician or the nurse may not always be able to get a complete medical history, may not know the patient, may not always have the luxury of doing as complete of a workup as they would like, et cetera. So for many years, states like Texas have had what could be characterized as a gross negligence standard for emergency room cases. So In a normal medical malpractice case, a non-emergency room case, the intent or the mindset of the healthcare provider is not something that you would have to prove. In emergency cases, the standard of care is the same in terms of what a reasonable and prudent healthcare provider would have done or should have done under the same or similar circumstances. But in emergency cases, There's an additional requirement that the plaintiff prove by a preponderance of evidence that the healthcare provider was aware of the risk involved and acted in utter disregard of the consequences to the patient, essentially. Okay. And then, you know, in terms of uh, some of the COVID-19 responses, so uh, David Latt, obviously from Above the Law, he was uh, sharing online his experiences having COVID-19 and the treatment. And so one one of the aspects of his treatment that uh, caused some complications was a delay in getting his COVID-19 test. He had asked for it, but because supplies were pretty low at the time, the hospitals were holding back on that because they wanted to ration for people that were displaying a little bit more serious symptoms. And so just in terms of that, you know, obviously using best efforts, but not nor, not probably not up to par when it comes to a facility's normal level of care. If you're denied or delayed a COVID-19 test and it uh, unfortunately causes your health situation to go south, is there an action there? Well, it's a great question, Lawrence, and I'd like to give a great lawyer answer, which is it depends. <laughs> <laughs> and it depends upon what the availability of testing was and what was reasonable and prudent under the circumstances. So as I've told people in the past, a healthcare provider can make a mistake and not be negligent. Medical decision-making may be proper in all respects, and yet a patient may still end up with a bad outcome. So for a patient not getting testing, I think what you would be looking at was, again, the availability of the testing, whether it was being rationed due to short supply, and if so, what was the sound science-based or other methodology that was preferably based upon the recommendations of professional organizations, CDC, CMS, or whatever? What was the rationing decision and protocol based upon? And Rationing and protocols, decisions may vary from institution to institution, but particularly in an emergency room setting, if you combine those two things together, then you would not only have to be looking at was the rationing decision a departure from what a reasonable and prudent healthcare provider would do under the same or similar circumstances, but was it willful and wanton to not offer the test? 
How about uh, personnel and staff? Now, obviously, you know, we've been reading in the papers, we've got our frontline staff or a hospital or healthcare provider, doctors and the nurses who have direct contact with the patient. So they're at risk for being infected. But, you know, so are other people that work there, like people that work in security, um, janitorial services, people that answer the phones. And so just in terms of personnel and staff that are at these healthcare facilities, you know, what kind of liability does a hospital have if they get sick along with um, their doctors and nurses? I think it depends upon what your state laws provide for. Some states have mandatory workers' comp systems. Others, like Texas, do not. So in a mandatory workers' comp situation or in a non-mandatory situation where the employer carries workers' comp, I believe all the worker has to prove is that they contracted the virus in the course and scope of their employment. Sounds easy enough, right? Well, not so fast proving that the exposure occurred in the workplace may prove to be daunting and may prove to be more difficult in some cases than others. In a what we call in Texas a non-subscriber case, the plaintiff would also have to prove negligence that the employer, whether it be a healthcare provider or the grocery store, did not act reasonably and prudently under the circumstances and follow guidelines, guidance, and advice, and that that negligence proximately caused the person to become infected. So I would just add that I believe that the law and the science is going to develop on causation. There's no doubt in my mind that these cases will begin to be litigated, but the science is very young in this area. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Kay. And if our listeners, they have questions or follow up on a little, a little bit more about this landscape before everything happens, how can they reach you? Easiest way to reach me is to send me an email. It's Kay, K-A-Y, at vwpwlaw.com. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate us in your favorite podcasting app. And also, if you want to reference our show notes or find additional COVID-19 resources for lawyers, please visit our website at LegalTalkNetwork.com. That's LegalTalkNetwork.com. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Stay strong, everybody. (laughs) 